Hey guys, this is Brett. I'm the lead pastor at Engage City Church right here in Spruce Grove, Alberta, Canada. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to listen. We love you and we hope you enjoy this. All right, buckle up. This is a message called The F Word. Well, we got day one in the books. We got through one week in Stony Plain. It was a good one. And we made it here in pretty good time. Like, we weren't even at announcements yet. So, hey. I love it when a plan, this is going to, that's a bad idea. I love it when a plan comes together. Uh, Well, hey, it is so good to have you. My name is Brett. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time, hi, welcome. We are so thrilled that you are here. Make sure you do drop in that white welcome home card, as Jeremy mentioned, and uh, we'd love to stay in touch with you and and keep you up to date on all the latest happenings. Uh, But today, I just want to jump right into the Bible, if that's okay with you. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Oh, you are ready, and we'll go to Matthew 26, uh, uh, Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. Now, that's the way to start a Sunday morning. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even knew me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples vowed the same. Because let's be honest, when one guy in the crowd is like, I will die with you, you can't be the one guy in the group that's like, I won't. I (laughs) Like, you're like, yeah, yeah, we're into that. That's cool. Well, we'll die with Jesus. <laughs> Nobody believed it because he's like, listen, you're all tonight you're gonna deny me and desert me. You're like, wow, way to bring down the 12 o'clock. We had all the good vibes in here today. If you're reading a Bible today, uh, you were who's got a, anyone have a hard copy? I don't want to know because the numbers are so we got one. Okay, good. If you're reading a hard copy, you're blessed and highly favored of the Lord. For the rest of you, uh, we have the U version Bible app, and if you open it up, hit the more button in the bottom right hand corner, hit events, and you'll see Engage Church and all your notes and Bible verses for today, right there, locked and loaded for you. Now, this is a famous conversation where, where Peter, between Jesus and Peter and his disciples, and Jesus and Peter going back and forth, and Peter's like, listen, I'm all in. I'm all for you, Jesus. I'm on your team. I'm in. Like, ride or die all the way. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm going to give it everything. But there was another conversation that happened before this conversation. If we roll it all the way back about 10 chapters in the Bible, long, many months before, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, tell me what the word on the street is. Like, what are people saying? What's the vibe? What's, what's, what are people saying? Who do they say that I am? Am I like, uh, like, who do they say I am? And, and like, what's the, what's, the, what's the word? And the disciples are like, okay, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, which is weird, because that was his cousin, so don't ask me how that works. Some people say that you're Elijah. Others say that you're, you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In other words, the implication was a bunch of people thought that he was Jesus reincarnated, that he was somebody else that came back, like one of the mighty prophets of the old scriptures. And Jesus says, okay, that's great. That's what the word on the street is. That's, that's awesome. But who do you say that I am? <laughs> that's great that we know what everybody else says, but you know what I care about more? Jesus says, looking at into the eyes of his disciples the same way that I look into the eyes of this large group. It's kind of happening, but not really happening because it's a group. 
And he says, no, who do you say that I am? And Peter, without even hesitation, answers, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the one that we've been waiting for. This week, you know, in preparation to start uh, Stony Plain and start the new location, I did what any uh, pastor has to do. I had to go to Ikea. Now, if you've ever seen the painting Dante's Inferno, you know that it outlines all the layers of hell. And I actually believe that Ikea follows that exact same roadmap. <laughs> like the way the journeys that you go through is actually every layer of hell. And because uh, you can't buy anything upstairs and then you go downstairs and can't buy the thing that you came downstairs to buy from, from upstairs because they just don't have it in stock and you have to wait for it and you click and collect it, but you can't do all of that. So they force you in and they're like, oh, to make it up to you, here's a 75 cent terrible hot dog. And I'm like, for a buck fifty, I got way more hot dog at Costco. You know? But the, the, the worst part about Ikea is not what happens once you're there. It's what happens when you get home. And that book is staring you, that box is staring you down. And you're staring it down. Every time I'm about to open a box of Ikea furniture, I just emotionally and spiritually prepare myself because once I open the box I will truly discover who I am as a human being it will test you in ways that you did not even think possible did you ever notice that the man on the Ikea instructions isn't even smiling either he's just like straight face like and he's stuck in the box forever I mean that's a special kind of hell and it's like so anytime I build it, like you get the stuff out and you start building, you just got to keep a few things in mind. If you know how to build things, put all that knowledge out of your head because none of that is important here today. Also, when you're building Ikea furniture, if you plan on using real tools, again, throw those away. Those are no good here. Unless it's an Allen key and a terrible screwdriver, you've got, you have no business getting your drill out. You also need to understand physics are just an idea. And time does, does not actually have any meaning. Because once you get sucked into the vortex of Ikea, you will not get out for hours. And when you emerge, you're going to be like, I've got one piece left. <laughs> and it looks like the picture, but it feels pretty wobbly. And you're like, well, maybe they just put one more in from the factory. No, they said there was 17 of that one and 12 of this one and 6 of this one and 1 of this one. They didn't screw up. You did. That's just the reality of the situation. And the truth is, a lot of us live our lives and our Christianity and our faith like we have one piece missing. It kind of looks right. It looks like the box. It looks like a picture. But at times, it's just a little bit wobbly. I'm like, what do we do with this one missing extra piece? What do we do with this? I want us to take a look at the journey of Peter a little bit farther, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But when we think about this idea of, of living a life that that is reflective of Jesus, of, of living a full faith, I think we all have to just come to terms with the simple concept that we all believe a lot of things. 
And we have a strong set of beliefs, but sometimes we just don't believe what we believe. When we started the church, we started the church five years ago. We started in a movie theater just behind Save on Foods down the road that way. I actually got the direction right this time. And we started with like 20-some people in the room and nothing like this. It was like me on the acoustic guitar, Matt hitting a wood box, Cassie and Cavell in the front row, and that was about it. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was, it, was, it was what it was, and it was awesome, and it was amazing, and it was a, it was a crazy journey. But we decided, you know, a, a, almost two years in, that we were going to do this Heart for the House offering. Now, we, we do that here. We do vision offerings. We just are finishing up our Summer of Hope campaign uh, to, to launch Stony and, and get the Engage bus going. Uh, and... So we, we do that here, and now the numbers are higher, and, and, and there's more people that are contributing. But, I mean, we had this, like, group of 30, 40 people who were all just, like, starting their careers, and we had this big goal of $10,000, which might not sound like a lot, but for us it sounded like a lot. And so I did everything in my ability and in my control to make it happen. I took side jobs. I, I did sound at conferences. I hustled. I did whatever I could do to make all the monies and to do what I, whatever I could contribute. I was going to do the best I could because I had this idea in my mind that I was going to make this happen and that God was going to be proud of me and the church was going to be better for it because as the leader, I should just carry this and I should show them what generosity looks like. Now, I just kind of must have forgot that all donations are anonymous and so nobody would have ever known what I would have put in anyways. But it's the spirit of the thing. And I hustled and I, I did everything in my control to make it happen. Of course, the Sunday comes and none of that money showed up. None of those checks arrived. And I'm driving to church. I can remember it like it's yesterday, driving down Century Road toward the movie theater. And I'm having a conversation with God. And I'm like, okay, like, what do you want me to do here? Because I got none of this money and I'm just going to get up there. I'm like, but I'm a hypocrite. I'm going to get up here and not give anything. He's like, no, no. I want you to give $100. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, what you don't understand is that at that moment, I had $178 in my bank account, you know? And we had to take a family out for lunch right after. So I'm like, I hope they're not hungry. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I want you to give the $100, and if you give $100, I'm going to give you a hundredfold return. Now, this is in the Bible. You know, the Lord talks, if you, if you make an investment, that one of the ways he can bless you is with a hundredfold return return that if it's for his purpose and his calling you know he, he wants he wants to see it multiply and of course it wasn't for me it was for the church and I was like okay oh no no I I know that this is you talking to me and I know that it's in the bible and I believe that a hundredfold return is possible I believe that I exist like I, I believe in theory that this is real but okay we'll see if this actually happens Jesus you know I I believe but I think quite all the way Belief, you know, it's just missing piece, right? So we took the offering, went to church, and I gave the hundred dollars, and we had lunch, and they weren't that hungry, and we all survived. And that day, six thousand dollars came in, which I was blown away with our group. I thought this is amazing, and I didn't even care that it wasn't ten thousand. But a few days later, as we were driving, Des and I were driving back to Spruce Grove. And before any text and driving legislation came in, <laughs> I checked my email as one does on the highway when they're bored. 
and I got an email that a church in Edmonton had just randomly decided to give us $5,000 out of the blue. And I started like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like the real ugly, like not like the dignified single tear, like, <laughs> and, Des, and then Des is like, she's like a nice cry. And I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't even tell her what was happening. I just handed her the phone. I think I threw the phone at the window. I'm like, Bleh. Because in that moment, something that seemed so impossible, something that I believed but didn't believe came into fruition and became a real thing out of nowhere, out of nothing that I could have done. As if to say, hey, thanks for trying, champ, but even when you try and make it happen on your own, don't worry. I've always got you because it's not actually about you. It's about me. And if there's a vision, there's going to be a provision. And you just need to trust in the fact that I got you. But thanks for trying. As if to say, hey, you've got a missing piece, but the missing piece is really, it's just an incongruency. It's this thing. See, an incongruency is, is, is a thing that's made up of parts that are disparate and otherwise markedly lacking in consistency, discordant, discrepant, dissonant, incompatible, incongruous, and inconsistent. And that's actually all right there. You just can't see it. Um, sometimes it feels like our faith or our journey with Jesus can be incongruent because it feels like there's a tension and there's a dissonance and there's something in us that just doesn't seem to line up because we don't we believe but we just don't all the way believe and we're just trying to wrap our minds around what is the thing that is is wrong Right now in music, see, dissonant chords are amazing things because uh, when you're playing something, especially in a major key, and then all of a sudden this, 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 this sound comes in, it just feels off, it just sounds off, and it just creates this like tension, and, and you're listening, you're like, oh, why is this happening? And all of a sudden it resolves, and you're like, ooh, that's nice. Everything just feels whole. Everything just feels complete. I, I believe many of us live uh, in a constant state of tension and incongruency because we're trying to reconcile where this separation is, where this missing piece actually goes. And I would suggest to you today that any sense of incongruency or any, any, any feeling of a gap or a tension or, or anything like that is simply my life being out of Alignment. See, when we move from an incongruency to a congruency, we move from dissonance to harmony. And when something is congruent, it's identical in form, and it's coinciding exactly when superimposed. It means that the one thing looks just like the other thing, which means when I put Jesus first and I follow him, one Step at a time. My life looks more and more like his life every single day because I'm congruent and I'm looking more and more like him. And the tension that is in my heart and this dissonance where I'm trying to wrap my head around things, I start to find peace. Isaiah 26, 18 reads like this, therefore the Lord God said, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, the one who believes will be unshakable. Now that word 
is very appealing to me. Unshakable. I want to live a life that's unshakable. Because if I'm unshakable, it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens around me. Because I'm unshakable. I hope someday when they put me in the ground, which I hope they don't do, I hope they just burn me and put me on the shelf. But if there was ever to be an inscription, maybe it should say something like, one with an unshakable faith. Because that means my life would not be defined by me or my accomplishments, but it would be simply defined by my trust in Jesus. An unshakable life. So how do I get an unshakable life? And what do I do with this missing piece? Well, the Bible says Jesus is the cornerstone. See, when they were building buildings back in the day, they would put the cornerstone, and it was the first stone that was set. And when they set that stone, they would build the foundation around it, and that stone would determine whether or not that building was square. Everything aligned to the cornerstone. As long as the cornerstone was in place, then they could build a building with a sure foundation. As long as Jesus is the main thing in our lives, we can build a life that is unshakable. Now, here is the tension. Here is the rub. We all have areas where we have a little gap, where we've got to mine the gap. Mine was money right there. But it wasn't actually money. It was my ability to make things happen. My gap was I trusted me to make it happen more than I trusted Jesus to make it happen. That was my incongruency. I had more faith in me than I had in him. And if we're being honest, I have at times continued to have more faith in me than I have in him. If we're being honest at the 12 o'clock service on a Sunday. Okay, we want to lie a little bit. Then my, my life is totally put together. But that... That's, that's, that's my gap. That's my so We all have little things where we, we wrestle and we struggle. So how do we wrestle through and how do we struggle and how do we continue to have a faith when things don't seem to line up? Well, we have to understand that Jesus is the thing that causes all things to line up. So the first thing that we have to do is rearrange our priorities. If Jesus is first and everything else comes second, then everything else can come into alignment with the cornerstone. If you've got something else that's first, then everything else has to come into alignment with that one thing. Your life will never be firm or square because you're always missing one piece, which is Jesus, the cornerstone. See, we have to even get past the point where the, the honest truth is you could follow and live in ideology. Like we love this idea or this way of life or this thought, or you'll read a great book and you're like, this is the way I want to live a life. But the truth is, if, that, if you like put that ideology as the main thing, the honest truth is that ideology at some point is going to fail you and you will fail that ideology at some point. That's the honest truth. Now we're going to get really touchy. And the 10 o'clock did not like this. If theology or the understanding of the Bible is your main thing, then you have a missing piece and you will be out of alignment. Because if you trust the Bible more than you trust Jesus, then at some point your theology will fail you and you will fail your theology. It's just the truth. What do you mean? Like this is, the Bible is the sure foundation. No. Jesus is a sure foundation. 
The Bible is the supporting documents. So if this is first and Jesus is second, we've got to mind the gap. We've got to bring ourselves into alignment. If your ideology is first and Jesus is second, if, it's just, if he's a thing that you do, you will always have a dissonance and a disconnect. See, what happens is we shift it from being about thoughts, ideas, principles, values. We shift it from that realm into being something deeply personal. Because the thing that is the main thing is not a thing at all. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. If you have a personal, one-on-one relationship with Jesus, then you're unshakable because he's unshakable, and when you don't know what to do, you just simply trust in him. And we get afraid of that. We like ideas and ideologies and theologies to just keep us at a safe distance because if we can just keep ourselves separated just a little bit, then he won't know all of what I got going on up in here. And then he'll like me better and he'll use me more because we feel like we need to perform or put on a show. But it's never been about that. When it's something that's deeply personal, then it's about a person and it's about a relationship. Now, this just to give you an insight into how God's brain works. I just wanted to show you this in Matthew 16. So this is the follow up. When Jesus had that conversation, he says, you know, who do they say that I am and who do you say that I am? Peter shouts out, you're the Messiah, you're God, you're the son of the living God. And this is how Jesus replied. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Meaning, Peter had some sort of supernatural experience, this faith, this trust that Jesus was who he said he was. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer, and I will give you the keys of The kingdom of heaven, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That is a big deal. That's amazing. But what happens when we fast forward 10 chapters? Jesus gets arrested in the garden. Peter rips out a knife, cuts off a dude's ear, then follows Jesus to the courthouse. And this goes down in Matthew 26, verse 69. Meanwhile... Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl, 12 to 14 years old, yay high, servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him, like not police, not soldiers, not military, servant girl noticed him. Uh, I'm lost now. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, she said. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. I swear it wasn't me. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed and suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Another exchange of words is he went away weeping violently. There's only two times that that phraseology of weeping bitterly is used in the entire Bible and it's the times referring to Peter crying violently. Ugly cry, emotional cry. I've I've let down my best friend, all my hopes and dreams, my world is shattered, kind of cry. And he wept. And then I think to myself, how could Jesus trust this guy? 
right? You're like, what a jerk. This guy denies Jesus from little servant girls? Well, it's easy to say it here when it's not your seemingly life on the line. But if we flash back to 1 Samuel, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks at what's on the inside. See, when Jesus saw Peter and he said, listen, on this rock, I will build my church. You don't think that he already knew that this was going to happen? I mean, he called it out here. He said, tonight, all of you are going to desert me. He already knew. But Jesus wasn't phased by the flaws. He wasn't surprised that there was something else going on. You see, when we look through our mind or our eyes, we like, oh, God would only want to pick someone whose life is all together, who's perfect. They've got it. They've got it figured out. That's the only people that God wants to use. That's the only people that he's interested in. It's one of the things that keeps us outside of these buildings like this is that we're like, I could never go in there. If I walk in there, I'm going to light on fire. Well, good news, you made it through and we haven't had to use the fire extinguisher. But that's, that's not how God sees you. That's not how he sees you. In 1 John 3.20, we find a little bit of relief. Because it says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. So even if you feel like you don't measure up. Even if you feel like, why would he care about me? Why would he even want to love me? Why would he want to use me? If you have all the feels and all the emotions that are just your list of reasons why God doesn't care about you and Jesus doesn't love you, guess what? He already knows everything, and he is greater than your emotions. He's greater than the thing that's holding you back. He sees you, and he sees the unlimited potential that he handcrafted you and he placed within you, and he just wants to walk with you and journey with you and do life with you. And when you just simply decide to do life with Jesus instead of trying to prove to the rest of the world all the things that you can do, when you simply just learn to walk step by step with Jesus, you will go further, you will get there faster, and you will go places far beyond you could ever hope, imagine, or dream. Because God knows everything. He's better than your feelings. And it's not on you. It's on him. And we just trust him and walk with him one step at a time. Can I tell you this? And you might not even believe me. But Jesus has a great plan and a future for you. And he knows you by name. And he knows how many hairs are on your head or aren't on your head. And though you think all the things that you can think of right now are the things that disqualify you, he says, those are the things that I already paid for with my life. But don't make this about policy or promise or principle. Make this about the person. Make this about a one-on-one journey, a relationship with Jesus. God, the creator of the universe. Think about this. The creator of the universe cares about you so much that he actually wants to have a personal relationship with you with an open line of communication at any time. So you could just talk to him and he can talk to you and he can be with you through every moment and every season of life. And though at times it seems far away, it's probably most likely that the reason he seems so far away is because we're still walking around with this missing piece and we're using the missing piece to keep him at a distance because we're just afraid of what could happen if he knows everything. But he's greater than our emotions and he already knows everything. So we could either keep him at a distance, we could just invite him into the hot mess that is ourselves. 
decision here today to realign our lives so that he comes first and everything else comes second because when we do that we begin to build on a strong and a firm foundation that cannot be shaken and if it cannot be shaken I cannot be shaken because if I'm walking with Jesus he's unshakable and that means that I'm unshakable because I'm with him why don't we stand to our feet Hebrews 12 gives us further guidelines. How do we live this unshakable life? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We don't trust the process. We trust the person, and his name is Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I know God's got a great plan and a purpose for you. And I know that it's not a mistake that you were listening to this message today. So if you want to reach out, if you need someone to talk to, feel free to send us an email. Hello at engagechurch.ca. If you want to learn more about our church, you want to come check us out live and in person uh, for the real deal, then get all the information online at engagechurch.ca. I'm Brett. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running or you're at the gym right now, you got this. Go get it. Thank you.